This is the Dithering Preview Podcast. The Real Dithering Podcast is a subscription-only podcast. comes out three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 15 minutes per episode, not a minute less, not a minute more, with me, John Gruber, and Ben Thompson. I'm here. But as a preview that you could find in any podcast player when you just search for Dithering, you've got this, which is a preview, and we're going to put these out once a month. This is the preview for July 2020. You can listen to uh, indicative clips from each of the episodes just to get a flavor, a taste, an honest chunk of what it's like to be a Dithering subscriber. We think you'll like it. When you want to get the real deal, just go to dithering.fm. You can sign up there. Easy to sign up and easy to put it right back into your favorite podcast player when you sign up. Could not be easier. Um, well, maybe it could be easier, but it's easier than you think it is. <laughs> easier than you think it is. That's a good motto. We should add that to our model list. <laughs> July 1st, India versus China. What was really interesting to me, though, is it sort of struck me as I was thinking and writing about this, that banning stuff is way easier in 2020 than it was in you know the early 2000s or late 1990s when China started building the Great Firewall because of app stores, right? If there is a point of centralization, that means there's a very easy and obvious place for sort of governments to put their foot down. Whereas China had to deal with like the internet as we traditionally think about the internet, which is this sort of wild decentralized place. And they had to find the, the points of leverage just were where like the internet entered China and put their wall there. The internet was designed. I mean, I guess the idea, you know, the catastrophe everybody was thinking about was a nuclear war. I mean, and again, it's, it is sort of <laughs> becoming a theme here on this episode that there's this decentralized setup wasn't really an anti-censorship setup. It was more like a resiliency sort of. Yeah. And uh, let's not have a central, you know, we're not going to have one central server at Urbana, Illinois, where if something happens, then all of a sudden the whole thing blinks out, which is really how a lot of networks worked before the internet, you know, this decentralized scheme, but it also, you know, had the, to most of our minds by happy byproduct of also making censorship more difficult. July 3rd, Facebook's advertisers. The classified ads in newspapers were just, they were the Facebook of the 20th century, and especially the second half of the 20th century, uh, in terms of just being able to mint money at a local level. It's not what you think of, though. You think of the big ads in the newspaper, you think of like the big full page ad at the back of the a section you know you pick up the front page of the newspaper turn around to the back page and there's a full page ad that's obviously very expensive it was always for big brands like the big local department store maybe or but all the money was coming from the classified ads you know facebook is sort of like that but what they've made is a newspaper with like thousands and thousands of pages in the middle where all the little tiny classified ads are and they're making all that money. But yet the signifier of, of what is a major platform still comes to those major brands, right? Like part of what makes 80% of those advertisers who are just tiny little companies spending a little bit here and there, but it adds up to 70 billion a year. But part of what makes Facebook feel like a place to do that is that those big brands are there too. And if they go away, I feel like that that really helps put the stink on Facebook as this there's something, you know, rotten afoot here on this platform. I have to say I completely disagree. Hmm. July 6th, 
sports. You remember the 1994 baseball strike. 1994, the Major League Baseball had a player strike that took effect in the middle of the season, and they never resolved it. So their 1994 had no World Series. There is no champion. They just settled it out in the offseason and went to 95. Terrible, right? I mean, the worst, the catastrophe for a strike, because there's no natural disaster like now that caused it. It was simply personal arguments. Attendance was down. TV viewership was down for years afterwards, right? And everybody then attributes the steroid spike to baseball looking the other way because they wanted to get people's action back. But everybody knows attendance was off, viewership off for a long time. Was it really because fans were mad because of the strike or did they just break the habit? Right. No. I've always wondered about that. I've always thought that the play that the, the idea that it was because fans were mad was overblown. I, I think fans were mad about it, but it wasn't what kept them from coming back. I think they broke the habit. You figure out new things to do. I mean, right. the, the, I have the thing about this. If the NBA came back now or when and if they come back. Like I've, we add, we started this podcast. This is a great example, right? <laughs> I know. Like we, we, we talked about dinner. He's like, Oh, we'll talk about sports occasionally. Right. The reality is the lack of sports for all you haters out there who hate us talking about sports. The lack of sports is why I made this possible. This would interrupt nine out of every 10 Yankee games. <laughs> July 8th, consumer messaging. They actually do exactly what Zach Phillips said, where that right. is your ID. There is no sort of account that goes along with it, whereas Apple has sort of is both. You can send a message to an ID or to a phone number, which can get very uh, confusing, particularly because you can start messages from your phone number. And then if you switch your SIM card or a different phone, I deal with this because I you know travel a lot, then you can lose messages. So I have to always have it set to, to initiate conversations from my Apple ID. Right. But th this idea of phone as universal identifier and not being a phone number, it's kind of been a parallel evolution of the phone from not being a phone to be a computer. Yeah. And your phone number has evolved from not being a phone number to being an ID. Yeah, and Signal is an interesting case. I guess WhatsApp's in the same boat. They work basically the same as far as the ID stuff goes, yeah. Same developer. I don't know if, you know, we even want to get into it, but, you know, part of the news on messaging this week is that with this, uh, the new, uh, security law or whatever they want to call it in Hong Kong, bunch of companies, but specifically Facebook, you know, hats off to them, but it's easy because they're banned in China, but they've said, you know, they're going to stop, you know, they're going to take a couple of months. <laughs> I think that's actually what they said. Like. <laughs> take a few months and review their options on what to do if the Hong Kong government authorities request information about users. And Signal had a pithy little tweet where they, you know, said, well, we're going to continue doing what we're always doing. And that's nothing because we have nothing to turn over the way Signal's yep. end to end encryption is set up. There is nothing to turn over. And I saw like the top tweets replying to that t pithy tweet were all like, well, let me know when I can do something other than s sign up with something other than revealing my phone number. July 10th, stringent bunko squads. A good point that has been made is people are like, oh, well, Apple might market your app. It's like, well, well, number one, you can't run a business by hoping that someday like <laughs> Apple might feature your app. Like that's just not realistic. But let there be a checkbox. Let it be like, it could be a, an explicit trade-off. I'm going to check this box, which says that I forego all future opportunities of Apple featuring my app. And in exchange, right. I get to put a freaking web link in my app that links to a page where they can sign up. That's another example of taking people make these arguments like, oh, well, Apple features you. That's worth a lot. Apple distributes your app. Like, you don't get to say that Apple distributes your app when they've passed basically a law for all intents and purposes that says you have to go through the app store. Well, Apple 
pays a lot of money to host these apps. It's like, well, yeah, because they, you don't get a, you don't get to plead poverty when you passed a rule that everyone has to use your store, right? I think calling it the app store is a misnomer. July 13th, Amazon and TikTok. I'm on TikTok side. <laughs> oh, are you? I think they got railroaded. I think they got, <laughs> I think TikTok really got hit square in the nose by a media shitstorm Friday that they, I don't think they did anything. I found the whole story very, very strange and it's such a terrifying example of uh, mob mentality in the media. So there's a lot of TikTok stories. So I presume <laughs> you're not talking about them being a Cayman Islands company. Uh, which TikTok story specifically? I'm talking about the story that the New York Times broke, although I think it would have broken by somebody else anyway, but um, where Amazon's IT department apparently said, well, not apparently, but they did send out a company-wide email saying that people had to, everybody had to remove TikTok from their phones if they use those phones to access company mail for a security issue. And uh, they had till the end of day Friday to do it. <laughs> and this hit the New York Times. And then within hours, Amazon had to walk it back. July 15th, Disney, the NBA, and TikTok. And TikTok's the whole point of it is that it's not a social network. It's the reason why it works is because you're not constrained by your network. You can get so they can pull great videos from anyone on the service, which means they get all the benefit of sort of user generated content where there's just a massive amount of stuff out there without being constrained by it has to be in your network so you can see it. And that's a, that's a constraint that Facebook faces. People forget that Facebook's original FTC consent decree was about trying to make private posts public. So mm -hmm. Facebook was actually trying to get to where TikTok already is, where everything is public. And that gives you a much greater pool of stuff to push to folks. But, but sort of implicit in this, where the algorithm is actually what's dominant, not the social network, is that we have no idea or view or insight into what that algorithm is, what's put into it, what influences are going in that. And you, you combine that with a country in China that one definitely has sort of the laws and expectations that they can lean on and tell internet companies what to do or look at what's in them. And also is a ideological project. Like folks think about China as they think about like the US and think about, oh, it's all commercial, it's all economic. But, but China is an ideological country that sees itself in opposition to the US. And to think that they're not going to use a tool like TikTok, given that they block US social networks because they fear the exact same thing in reverse, I right. think is just a risk that's too large to bear. July 17th, the Twitter hack. Well, the other thing about the Bitcoin angle is because of the nature of Bitcoin, you know, like once you steal Bitcoin, like it's gone, right? There's no right. unwinding it. And this is the case with lots of cryptocurrencies is that <laughs> there's some aspect where the processes for stealing Bitcoin are well developed at this point. You know right. what I mean? Like we talked about the whole SIM hacking thing. SIM hacking has been a huge problem in the cryptocurrency space because that's how folks a big way they've profited is by stealing someone's account information and then doing the SIM hack and then transferring a whole bunch of a Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it might be. And then boom, it's gone. So there's, I always make this analogy that, you know, the poor like analog world, like, di like tech companies were like, you know, eating each other for decades. And then suddenly they started attacking the, the rest of the world. It's like all these fat companies had no chance against these like lean mean killing machines from Silicon Valley. 
This is kind of the case, but with with Bitcoin attacking everybody else. They've been stealing from each other so much that they're really good at it. And like the normal companies like Twitter were just totally unprepared. July 20th, Twitter lulls. By the way, if you change your view on the Twitter thing at all, you know, there's been tacos is like a, a state sponsored sort of thing. Like people, you know, the theories are sort of spinning up. Any changes in your evaluation of the situation? No, I don't think so. I certainly haven't seen any evidence of it. I think it's just another one of those cases where the explanation is relatively, maybe simple is the wrong word, especially given the evidence that's been put out, but it's relatively hmm, boring and it is kind of simple. And people see that the potential madness of bad actors taking control of any, almost any Twitter account they want, short of Trump and probably Jack, and think, well, it can't just be a couple of guys doing it for the lols, including one guy whose username was lol. <laughs> That's right. Lol did it for the lols. July 22nd, Geo and the Indian Internet. I Well, and I just think that in hindsight, it, with the benefit of a couple of other years of hindsight and knowing more about Facebook, it's like, I think the best argument against it was, no, come on, they wouldn't do that. There's, a, there, you know, they're, they're really trying to do something good. And now it's like, in you know, in 2020, you look back and you're like, yeah, they were trying to be sh- real, real jerks and colonial uh, uh, I, I don't think I, I don't think it was actively evil. What I think what I think it was is the case uh, that's the case with it, most human endeavors, which is people always view what they do in positive lights and view what other people do in more negative lights. It's just like a right. human failure. And I can absolutely believe that Facebook believed and and Andreessen believed genuinely that look, these folks don't have anything. And now they're going to have something, and that is yeah. better than nothing. You can put yourself in their shoes and say, yeah, that, that, that makes right. sense. It's so fascinating because, again, it's not just that people got the quote-unquote real internet. It's the knock-on effects of having the real internet that inspire this, this massive amount of competition for these people that are in extreme poverty are being competed for. And that right. competition for them is doing more to raise them out of poverty than any amount of charity ever would. Right. Raise them out of poverty in multiple levels, you know, at both the traditional sense of physical poverty, but also the information and, and communication and poverty. July 24th, Slack and Apple relive the 90s. One is it really was a big mistake for Slack to say that Teams wasn't a competitor. And I'm not quite sure if they meant it in the way that everybody took it, which is that this is not a competing product. It just looks the same on the surface, but it really doesn't compete with us at all. Or did they mean it a little bit more as a diss, like Teams is so weak, it's not even really a competitor. But either way, it comes back and it bites them in the, bites them in the ass right now to say that you've got to go to regulators. It's a competitor. I think it's a little bit of both. I really think a mistake Slack has made from the beginning is not taking Microsoft seriously. And I think this is something that companies in Silicon Valley make again and again relative to Microsoft, which is especially these single-use companies get so focused on their specific use case. They're like, look, we do it so much better than Microsoft does. Mm -hmm. And they forget the fact that Microsoft, people that are buying Microsoft products aren't worried about your single use case. They're worried about like, doing their job, right? And getting their work done. And the fact that all of the Microsoft stuff works together pretty well 
is a huge benefit compared to trying to stitch all these different sorts of pieces together. And that's the real advantage Microsoft has in the marketplace is it's like a one-stop shop. You go there and everything sort of kind of works together. And it's is every single individual piece the best? Not necessarily, but who wants to be an IT administrator if you don't have to be? July 27th, an antitrust preview. All of these companies are different, which is another reason why I think it's problematic to have them all at the same time, where the only way you can say they're all in the same boat together is if you just say, we as a society and as a country have a bunch of problems. You four companies are in some ways involved in some way with all of these problems, and you're all very successful. Again, not even making the judgment of the merits of the antitrust legal arguments against each of the four companies. None of them are the same, really. I mean, maybe some of the advertising stuff with Facebook and Google is two peas in a pod insofar as that they're the two companies that have taken over the entire advertising industry. But anything you really want to say about Apple and the App Store really doesn't really relate to the other companies. Yeah, that's exactly right. I actually wrote an article last last uh, summer, which we will put in the show notes, in the show notes, which only appear in your, in your podcast player, not on the web. <laughs> but uh, about tech and antitrust, where I went through every company and I said, like, where are the actual antitrust issues? Right. Where are the actual risks of something happening? Where are the actual possible remedies? And you're exactly right. And even with the advertising thing, the real concern with Google is kind of like the, the way they run the ad exchanges and the ad tech. And, and, you know, it's funny. One of the best possible examples of how, you know, Google's probably being abusive in this area is that Facebook tried to get into it and then abandoned it because they realized that Google was taking all their data <laughs> because they have <laughs> such control of the whole space. July 29th. Aggrieved Apple. So yesterday was also the New York Times story about the uh, the Airbnb and yeah. ClassPass thing. By the way, this is one I heard a lot about when the whole hay thing was going around. I heard from multiple companies that where Apple nailed them on this exact thing, where the pandemic came along. So they moved what used to be offline classes, whether it be yoga classes, fitness classes, counseling sort of things. They used to be sort of a marketplace that facilitated these connections, and they then moved them online because people couldn't meet in person. And Apple went after a bunch of these companies saying, you have to now pay us. And leaving aside the fact that what an awful look it is to basically be leveraging the pandemic to make some more money, I think there's a really important distinction to be made between stuff like in-app purchase for games and things like these unique sort of experiences where if you're providing some tokens in a game or even some software, it has zero marginal cost. You can duplicate it endlessly. And there's a certain perspective where Apple, it doesn't really matter what share Apple takes of that because it's kind of free money anyway in a certain sense. But things like an in-person experience, like I'm hiring a coach to do something for me or a counselor or or a, a fitness instructor, like that's not a replicable experience. And taking a cut of that, I think it's is way more problematic just from a, we're going to kill businesses that might exist in a way that, taxing software or taxing consumables in games is not. July 31st, big tech in Congress. Again, I wasn't watching. I can only hear it. But he just started, had this sort of like befuddled tone is like, why wouldn't we have a negotiation, right? That's what companies do. And I thought that was something that where the Democrats, like, it sounded reasonable, but then you listen to what they actually said. It's like, wait, like you seem to be legislating against the very act of business itself. That doesn't come across as yeah. any more reasonable than being, you know, your tile askew in your glasses and asking about Don Jr. on Twitter. 
Yeah, I thought Bezos was the most interesting to me because he he seemed to genuinely be trying to answer their questions. And and that was part of his, if there was a theme to his answers, it was, this is the nature of doing business. That's how it, it really, it, it almost felt like if there was a time when he almost broke, not broke character, because I feel like he was actually not in a character, he was genuine, but where he almost broke the political protocol of being deferent to the Congress was at a point where I felt like he wanted to say, yeah, that's how negotiation works, dipshit, right? Like, yeah, I, I think I were talking about the same thing. Yep. Yeah, yep. It, he really, really, you know, somebody, because he, he tried to explain it, then got pushed back and was like, how do you think negotiation works other than both sides giving things until everybody agrees they have an equally crappy deal? One of the favorite things, is, we'll, we'll put this on the preview episodes, is that every month, it has a different cover. <laughs> and the, the, we did, we did, this baseball one is amazing for July because the guy was actually wearing a mask. This is not a photoshopped image. This is a real image from the time of the Spanish flu. And they had the mask thing figured out back then. And my thought was, this is great. Ben and I are big baseball fans. It is very apropos of current events. But my thought when we went with it was, hmm, I know the baseball season isn't starting till July 23rd. Maybe we should save that one for August when there's a full month of baseball. But now, now with what's going on, I realize, uh, no, there's probably going to be more Major League Baseball played in July in one week than there might be in August, period, because the whole thing is, I think, on the verge of collapse because the Miami Marlins have a serious outbreak on their team. But not 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 on the verge of collapse is dithering. Dithering is going strong. You can subscribe. <laughs> Listen to all these clips as their full episodes. Again, it's three episodes per week, 50 minutes per episode. Not a minute less, not a minute more. Go to dithering.fm and subscribe. And uh, I will talk to you in a couple days. Yes.